The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 661 for February 10th, 2019. House Democrats put the FCC on notice, Sprint sues AT&T over misleading 5G network claims, and analyst predictions suggest consumers are hanging on to devices longer than ever. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and iOS for $1.99. Well, first in the news this week, U.S. House Democrats told FCC Chairman Ajit Pai to expect a lot more scrutiny moving forward. In an announcement this week, Commerce Committee Chairman Frank Pallone, who's a Democrat from New Jersey, and Communications and Technology Subcommittee Chairman Mike Doyle, a Democrat from Pennsylvania, said the House Commerce Committee is resuming its traditional role of oversight to ensure the agency is acting in the best interest of the public and consistent with its legislative authority. Pallone and Doyle wrote in a letter to Pi that he has made the FCC too secretive and has repeatedly advanced the interests of corporations over consumers. They asked Pi to update the Commerce Committee on its workload and on the FCC's interactions with the public through its handling of consumer complaints and Freedom of Information Act requests. Pi's FCC has repeatedly stalled in responding to public requests and failed to provide any substantive response at all. The letter goes on to ask a series of specific questions, for example, asking for extensive data about consumer complaints and public record requests the FCC has received during Pi's tenure, and information about the FCC's responses to those complaints and requests. Pallone and Doyle requested a written response from Pi by March Fourth. Well, we've uh, certainly talked enough about the FCC and what they've been doing over the last couple of years. And the reason that this is coming up now, frankly, is because you've got this transition in the House uh, from a majority of Republicans to a majority of Democrats. And now that everything has kind of worked its way through, at least for the time being, with uh, the shutdown, we are now seeing uh, the controlling uh, party in the Democrats jumping on and uh, trying to see if they can maintain some control over some of the different committees and commissions that are within the government. You know, it's disappointing. These things have kind of turned into, you know, it, it's kind of even beyond the politics of it. And it's, it's 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 strange how, you know, one party does one thing and another party does another thing. And, you know, sometimes it seems like one is more looking the other way, but then it kind of changes after a while and the other parties look in the other way. But what's disappointing is that, you know, basically, uh, you know, consumer rights and protections are being bought off is really kind of what's uh, what's really disheartening about that situation. You know, the, the, the consumer and of course the, uh, the public suffers in this uh, regard and it just is very, uh, it, it's just disheartening. Yeah, it is. I mean, obviously, if you are uh, a consumer that is looking for the you know the best interests of uh, or ha- making sure that your government is in your best interest, uh, you're looking for certain things to be regulated and for things you know for there to be oversight from these different committees. And uh, when they are making the decisions and uh, or being, I'll just say, not open with the information that they should be with on things that they're doing, then it feels like then there's a more pro corporation or they're, they're supporting the interests of those corporations over the consumers, which is uh, the antithesis of what these are commit, you know, committees are supposed to be doing. So uh, there is some definite, uh, you know, th- there are some, some very interesting inquiries that are being presented here uh, by these two Democrats. And so it'd be interesting to see what the response to them is. 
And of course, you know, stiff regulations aren't always uh, the right answer either. I mean, there's, there has to be a, a balance and a medium. And of course, you have to kind of watch what's going on. You have to kind of put some regulations in. Maybe not, you know, you don't need them everywhere, but in some cases you absolutely do. It's been proven time and time again, you know, economics, you know, you want to have the free hand of the market, but that doesn't always work because, you know, you will introduce a, a lot of corruption and, uh, you know, non-consumer friendly uh, policies that will eventually creep in if you do not have any sort of regulation around some things. Yeah, overregulation is not the answer. That's not the suggestion here. Uh, but there's got to be uh, a check and balance uh, in everything that's going on. And uh, certainly, uh, we will see what uh, what the response is to this. AT&T has started rolling out an update to iPhone and iPad users running the latest iOS 12.2 Beta 2 update that changes their LTE service icon to 5GE, which AT&T is dubbing 5G Evolution. It looks like the latest iPhones, including the 10R, 10S, and 10S Max, are seeing the change when running uh, iOS 2.2 Beta 2 as well as the iPad Pro 2018 model, those devices all sharing the same 4x4 MIMO LTE chips. Users of devices with the appropriate hardware will see increased speeds as a result of the technology, but it should be noted this is still LTE and is no way 5G in any respect. So while the marketing of the enhanced 4G service as 5G evolution may have your eyes rolling, Sprint thinks it's much more serious. They're taking AT&T to court for false advertising and deceptive acts. AT&T has been marketing uh, the 5GE through a large national ad campaign. You may have seen it uh, if you've been watching any network TV, as well as updating the software on these devices, not just iPhones, but Android devices as well. Sprint is seeking an injunction to stop all of these actions, as well as the damages caused by the success of the campaign. According to Sprint, AT&T's deceptive ads have harmed consumers by persuading them to purchase and continue purchasing AT&T services based on a lie that they're offering 5G service. Sprint made its filing in a U.S. federal court in New York based on a combination of federal and New York state laws. In device news, since the release of the iPhone 6, processor updates have been more for future-proofing purposes rather than the requirements of most users. That's similar to, say, computers made since 2010. And as a result, every other uh, upgrade that we've had has become increasingly rare. And the anecdotal findings are being corroborated by an industry analyst from Bernstein, that's Tony Sakanagi. He says that the average iPhone update time has increased to four years. This is up from three years in fiscal 2018. Sakanagi frames the issue as both critical and underestimated. He says, um, in our view, the single most important controversy surrounding Apple today is the iPhone replacement cycle. Despite the iPhone installed base growing 9% last year, we expect units to be down 19% in fiscal 2019, implying a material pushout in upgrade rates. Replacement cycles are elongating a lot. He also says the prediction that there's approximately 16% of the current iPhone base that will upgrade this coming year, meaning that whatever devices Apple comes out with, they're not expected to do, uh, drive any significant upgrade rates. Right. And we've been talking about this for even before, uh, you know, for example, the iPhone 6 came out. And, you know, there's another huge component to this is the fact that we've, uh, you know, gone away right around that time uh, from the two-year contract where the phone prices were all subsidized, where you'd go in and buy a new iPhone for 200 bucks, uh, but you'd have to sign a two-year contract with an early termination fee. Uh, but since that has kind of gone away pretty much now, uh, you see the full sticker price. So that also extends the you know, basically the, the the upgrade cycle because you do not 
the, the cost is, is not hidden by the carrier like it was. Uh, and of course, the hardware is much better and it has not been changing nearly as fast as it was. Uh, so yeah, it's kind of a double whammy. It is. And, you know, to think though, four years, um, that does mean an, an iPhone 6S, I guess, would be the device that you'd be still carrying now because that was a device that came out in 2015. But uh, it, it, it's it's baffling that, you know, I, and I guess you do see still a lot of them out there, but it's, it's, I mean, compared to just a couple of years ago where you were upgrading every other year. Absolutely. No. And of course, I know tons of people with 6Ss. My iPhone SE is essentially a 6S. And I, you know, it seems absolutely fine to me. So it's uh, uh, quite a shift. You're, you're absolutely right. It is quite a shift. And the rest of the features are getting incremental updates, but it's not like, you know, you're taking bad pictures. I mean, I, I, I had someone tell me this the other day, and I actually may have mentioned it on the show, and I think it's like one of the, the funniest and, and most like proven like comments that I've heard in a long time, which is, Let's stop making these like, you know, little tiny improvements to the camera. Uh, you know, we've been haven't taken bad pictures in like five years. So let's talk about all the other things, the stability of the software. Let's talk about making a device that just works, taking the first party programs at the very least and bulletproofing those um, and, 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 and taking that and kind of running with it because it doesn't it, it's not the rest of the, the device that we need to see the upgrades with. You know, we don't need a third lens on a camera. I mean, yes, better pictures is, is always, you know, nice, but it's not something that is, you know, a requirement when you've got software that's buggy or crashes or whatever. Uh, and, and, you know, don't get me wrong. Things have gotten a lot better, but it's still, when we're talking about, you know, the dot zero releases of the software, there's still lots of bugs. And, you know, we always go through a quarter of pain before we get to the nine months of, I'll call it mediocrity. So uh, anyway, it's very interesting, though, to see that we're talking about, you know, four year cycles uh, at this point and, uh, you know, where if you would have gone back probably five years, we would have been talking about 40 to 50 percent uh, upgrade rates every year. And we're down to now 16 percent. At least that is the projection for 2019. In software news, Unicode 12, the annual release for 2019, includes a wide variety of standard new emoji. Many focus on accessibility, including wheelchair, motorized wheelchair, person in wheelchair, probing cane, person with probing cane, deaf person, guide dog, service dog, and hearing aid. Uh, other new emoji include yawning face, pinching hand, ice cube, yo-yo, axe, drop of blood, adhesive bandage, uh, ringed planet, chair, straight razor, safety vest, parachute, diving mask, uh, Hindu temple uh, and ballet shoes. New animals include skunk, otter, sloth, flamingo, and orangutan. Uh, other new food emojis include butter, onion, garlic, waffle, falafel, oyster, and juice box. People are now able to hold hands. with as, That has been expanded to uh, greater diversity. And uh, these releases typically reach the major new OSs when they come out early in the fall. So we'll uh, fortunately this year be able to send uh, an emoji string including a service dog, a straight razor, and a juice box, which is something you weren't able to do before. Well, and of course, you've got to have the waffles, you know. Now, the That's waffles. Just, yeah, absolutely. Especially when you're putting this, you know, next to, say, a parachute. You know, waffles or and chicken. chicken. Or chicken, right. yes. Yeah, chicken's a better choice. There you go. Apple releasing iOS 12.1.4 this week, fixing a major privacy bug discovered last week that enabled FaceTime callers to hear and sometimes see people before they picked up the call. Apple turned off group FaceTime for everyone as its initial response to the issue, and it does remain off for everyone that has not done the update. 
Yeah. So the, the, you know, we were kind of curious last week what they were going to do. So basically, yeah, uh, FaceTime is disabled for any uh, device that does not have the latest version. So they were able to, uh, I guess, probably when the software uh, makes a call, initiates a call, the, the software OS version is probably sent along with that request and the server just denies it. Interestingly, though, we didn't hear, I don't think, much about what uh, the cause of this was uh, within the software. At least I, I didn't read enough about it to understand that. Well, they, it, it's just sloppy programming is all. It's just literally they just forgot to um, make sure that you a call does not get connected internally unless you answer it. That's it. Right. Which, I mean, that's crazy uh, that that is the issue and that that was uh, something that went out to millions and millions of devices. But uh, either way, it's um, I guess has been resolved. I have yet to do a group FaceTime call. I know you don't do FaceTime ever. Uh, I do quite a bit of it with family uh, around the country and it's it's nice to have. But never does it come up that uh, group FaceTime is something that we want to do. So I, I've got to check this out or try it at some point. But now I've got to, you know, make sure that everyone's got the latest update. Otherwise, it's not going to work for those devices. Netflix has supported downloading movies and TV shows for offline viewing on iOS for a while now, but the process has been a manual one. Android gained automatic downloads last summer, and now the iPhone and iPad are catching up and gaining the handy feature. Netflix announced the launch of its smart downloads feature on iOS this week, which downloads the next episode of the show that you're watching intelligently and deletes any consumed content. Netflix subscribers can manually turn the smart downloads feature on and off as needed. Smart downloads only works on Wi-Fi, so there's not a risk of using cellular data accidentally. Netflix says device storage is also not a factor because the watched the last watched episode in a series is always removed before the next unwatched episode in the series is downloaded. Smart Downloads tries to be intelligent about which episodes to delete. For example, if you have the first three episodes of a series downloaded, the feature will download episode four after you viewed episode one and then automatically delete episode one while keeping the second and third episodes. The update also enables uh, the feature, uh, the update that is that enables the feature is available in the iTunes App Store. Now, I, I don't know about you, whenever it seems like I'm watching uh, iTunes, or Netflix on my iOS devices these days. It's because it's offline. So whether it's, you know, on a, a train or a plane or somewhere that maybe has a little bit lim- more limited connectivity. Uh, and so I do appreciate what they're what they're doing here with this. Although I'm not sure, I guess you have to, if you have a series that you're looking to watch, then this is, uh, would be really handy. But a lot of the times I just kind of go and pick like a bunch of random shows and be like, all right, I download, you know, one or two episodes from any of these. So I can decide when I am in the situation what I want to watch. But, um, but I get, again, there are certain times and places where I think this would be handy. Yeah, no, I never really uh, uh, watch uh, offline episodes right now with, with Netflix, but uh, I do occasionally, especially, you know, plane travel and stuff, but I haven't been doing that uh, recently. So not uh, not too much, but it's a neat feature nonetheless, that's for sure, because uh, who wants to manage this? Yeah, and, and I think one of the other benefits then is if you have Wi-Fi that is of maybe a, a bit more of a, a limited uh, or, uh, you know, sketchy, not as reliable, then maybe this makes sense too, in that um, if you you know, potentially saw buffering or something when you were streaming Netflix and it could, you know, download and basically have that episode cached. And so then you were, would have a, a much more reliable experience. Uh, although now that I say that I, I'm trying to remember if I've actually ever had Netflix stumble on me when I'm streaming it. I guess maybe I, I don't use it when I'm in situations where I don't have great service either, but it seems like for the most part, whether it's on Wi-Fi or on, uh, you know, on your cellular connection, it, it does a good job of buffering uh, the stream and giving you the best experience uh, with, uh, even though it might be potentially lower resolution at times. 
Yeah, because they do have a, a lot of low resolutions available for for the video, so it, it downs uh, you know downscales to a real uh, low bit rate automatically. The other interesting thing is, I, I would actually appreciate a feature that uh, you know a toggle that said, you know, use my cellular connection to download the next episode for me here, uh, because you know you could be find yourself in an experience where you want to download something manually uh, or automatically and, and and have that latest episode. Um, but uh, but I do understand that that could uh, suck up a lot of bandwidth, and especially when they're you're talking about just how much you know each one each episode is you know when you're downloading it um, at high resolution. It's I don't know what 500 megs or something like that if you're downloading at the full resolution uh, over uh, over at least a Wi-Fi connection, something like that. But it also probably goofs with the carrier's throttling thing um, because what would happen is the episode would probably take 40 minutes to download because it's being throttled. Uh, by the carrier. So that uh, that's probably why it's not enabled for cellular downloads. Makes uh, a lot of sense now that you say that because, yeah, if you're only getting 480p video, you're that's for a stream, not for a download. Uh, this issue comes into play as well on the music side. If you're downloading music versus streaming music, uh, you uh, you actually do use your data when you're downloading it versus the stream, which is interesting because it seems like you're listening to the song, but there is a, uh, there's a, d- a distinction there between the two. Well, Google has two new apps rolling out to help the deaf and hard of hearing use their smartphones and understand people speaking around them. Live Transcribe is an app that listens, converts speech to text, and then displays a live transcript on the screen of what is being said aloud nearby. Haptic feedback lets the user know when someone has started speaking. An icon provides a visual indicator of volume and background noise. The app uses the Google Cloud Speech API and thus requires a decent data connection. It works in 70 different languages and can use the phone's microphone or an external mic. Sound Amplifier is the other app, and this filter background noise and boosts quiet sounds, making it easier for hard of hearing uh, people to hear what's important around them. It's designed for use with wired headphones. The filtering effects can be fine-tuned for each ear. Live Transcribe is available in a limited beta, while Sound Amplifier is available to anyone uh, in the Play Store. Both will be pre-installed on Pixel 3 smartphones moving forward. I always love this this technology that's there to innate, that's, you know, like really advanced modern technology. You know, it's nearly Star Trek-like, uh, and it's basically, you know, free with the price of a, a piece of hardware. And it's, uh, you know, stunning to think about how cheap that is compared to uh, specially designed medical equipment. You know, hearing aids cost, you know, $10,000, and they don't even work as well as these things probably do. So it's a, it's just awesome and amazing to see this kind of stuff coming. Yeah. And there's uh, even in, you know, the, without an, a separate application, I mean, there are some kind of native features in, in the operating systems now that allow you to take advantage of, of uh, amplification of sounds as well. So you're absolutely right. It, it is phenomenal that we're able to do these different things. I mean, it, it feels like, you know, th- these are the, the pieces of technology that are going to help us, you know, continue with globalization and, and making sure uh, and making the, this world feel a little bit smaller when we can do things like this. Yeah, very, very awesome stuff. Uh, lastly, in the news, after holding out then longer than most automakers, Toyota's new 2020 lineup now finally includes, for the first time, a variety of models that support both Apple CarPlay and Google's Android Auto. The new models include the 2024 runner, Tokoya, uh, Sequoia, Tacoma, and Tundra. Last year's Avalon supported CarPlay, but not Android Auto. The two technologies are comparable, letting the driver sync their phone to their car and display on, inter- on an interface of, on the dash uh, that's di- driven by the car 
uh, also including voice controls, a lot of different things that are showing up on the phones. The interfaces are tailored to driving, focused on navigation, music, and basic communication. Uh, other car companies currently supporting CarPlay and Android Auto are Chrysler, meaning Dodge, Fiat, Jeep, and Ram, Ford, and Lincoln, GM, including Buick, Chevy, Cadillac, and GMC, Honda and Acura, Hyundai and Kia, Jaguar, Land Rover, Mazda, Mercedes-Benz, Mitsubishi, Nissan, Subaru, VW, and Audi, as well as Volvo. So yes, Toyota finally jumping on the bandwagon. Nice to see that. Although not all vehicles are supporting it here. So if you're looking for one of their uh, cars, as an example, it doesn't look like most of them are going to be getting it just yet. Well, a couple of comments uh, this week. First up is one from Aaron. He says, guys, love to hear uh, you guys comment on the misleading claims of 5G with the monikers that they have like 5GE uh, and even some of the cable companies uh, uh, laying them out as well. I remember years ago, T-Mobile did this with HSPA Plus rebranding uh, a refined 3G technology as 4G before LTE was really mainstream. Are mass market wireless consumers ever going to get wise to these marketing gimmicks? Stay, stay warm. Aaron in Snowy and I see St. Paul. Uh, Aaron, obviously, you know, I, I think the, the general consumer is is not going to uh, understand what these are all about, which is why you've got Sprint, as an example, suing AT&T, because they understand that the average consumer is going to see this new, uh, you know, logo on the screen, and they're going to say, oh, I apparently now have a 5G device. They're just not thinking about this stuff like we are. They're going along with the marketing, and uh, certainly they, uh, the carriers are doing what they can to just try and, uh, you know, uh, capture additional, uh, you know, interest uh, and uh, kind of bolster their business by doing these types of things. Right, because we actually have a standards board that uh, decides what is a fifth generation technology, and it does not meet those uh, does not meet the definition. So it should be a simple case of deceptive advertising, and the FTC should step in and say you cannot be telling uh, consumers this is fifth generation technology when it is not. Uh, I mean, I frankly, I'm uh, you know I, I shake my head at this. Um, you, you almost feel defeated when you see this kind of stuff because you go, well. They, you know, again, it's stuff that's going to get rolled out on a, you know, in a, in a way that is going to impact millions of people. And before uh, anyone even knows any better about it, it's just going to be out there. And obviously there's the, you could tell somebody that it's not 5G, but whatever their first impression is, is that, oh, now my phone is 5G. My carrier is telling me that it is. So that's what I believe either, even if somebody tells me that it's not. Yeah. What's disturbing is, you know, while this is technology and it's not always super easy to understand, this stuff is pretty basic. And, you know, with the, the the amount of confusion that, you know, everybody has, including lawmakers and, of course, you know, government bodies like the FTC, this isn't something that should be above anybody's uh, ability to understand because this is pretty simple. It's a, yeah, brand new technology. This is not just an evolution of something that would, I mean, it really should just be called 4G evolution if you think about it. It's just a continued evolution of that. It's not versus they're saying, well, it's coming, you know, an evolution to 5G. Well, shouldn't it be called E5G then or something like that? But even then, it's still, get the 5G out of there. I totally understand, Aaron. Thanks for your comment there. Uh, next up is co a comment from Paul, and he says, please don't stop beating the Band 71 drum, of first refer referring to the 600 megahertz band that T-Mobile is using. Uh, he says, as a matter of fact, I would enjoy more details about where and when and how you detected Band 
the band used by your iPhone. I just returned from a trip to rural Florida, and I would hope that I would get some Band 71 action, but no deployment uh, that I could detect maybe next time. Keep up the good work, Paul. Uh, Paul, thanks for that comment as well. I I can't tell you, uh, frankly, that I've for certain seen Band 71 on my phone, although cross-referencing the literally manual you know list of city names that uh, T-Mobile has on their website is is one way to do it. Uh, but what I have been able to figure out is that when I'm in an area that used to have worse service and has now improved, uh, I either there's one of two things that I either am fi- you know figuring out. One is that it either we've got a new tower there. Uh, that is causing uh, the service to be better, or uh, it is now because of the new deployment of Band 71, and that is further validated when I'm with someone that has got an older device without the band, and they've got less bars than I do, so basically just put two and two together to make that determination. Um, but it is it is not really clear when you're on the network, and certainly you could go into the service mode on the device itself, and you can uh, you can find some additional information about what your phone is using in there. Um, but it, it it is certainly not everywhere. Um, most of the time, you're going to find it in some more of the rural locations. That's kind of what their deployment is based around: is going into areas that had more difficulty with service with the current bands and, and using uh, this one that kind of propagates further uh, in that respect. Um, you know, and th- the way that I've been able to do it is looking to see when I have service uh, on my 10s and my wife and her 10 doesn't. Um, but I've also seen. Uh, the other way around. So like I was at a, a restaurant last night, my, I had no service, zero bars, and my wife had one. And I believe that is attributable to the fact that my device is using the new Intel modem, uh, which doesn't seem to function as well as the prior Qualcomm chip. So in a situation like that, I would say, you know, you've got two devices on a table next to each other and an older device has got better service than the newer. That's an issue with the chipset uh, and in what is being what's in the device itself versus when I've got two devices and one has got full service and one has only got, you know, one or two bars and it's the newer device that's functioning better Then it's a new band that it's it's being able to receive and uh, and using there. So that, that's how I would uh, look at this, Paul. And T-Mobile's website on their coverage uh, map does actually have a 600 megahertz switch back and forth. And I was just looking at Florida right now and yeah, it makes no difference. So it doesn't look like they've really done uh, much with the uh, 600 in Florida. Yeah. And again, there's a there's a manual list of all the names as well of the cities. So you can take a look at that as well uh, to just get a sense of whether or not you've got uh, you've got that coverage in your area. But I I don't actually take the time to look at it uh, on the phone other than I just I know that um, uh, when I've got two devices and one is working better then I just go, well, this has got to be what the reason is for it, because otherwise they would both be on the same tower functioning effectively uh, the same. Well, that's all we have for this week. Uh, if you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us email to questions at thecellphonejunkie.com or give us a call 650-999-0524 and we'll get whatever you have to say on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.